Hello, and welcome to the Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ann Eglash. This podcast is co-sponsored by the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health, as well as the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. The Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine is an international organization of physicians dedicated to the promotion, protection, and support of breastfeeding and human lactation through education and research. Our goal for this podcast series is to help you manage clinical aspects of breastfeeding medicine. We also hope to keep you updated with current research that may impact practice management. Any advice or recommendations in this podcast do not reflect official policies or views of the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. I have with me today Dr. Sarah Reese Strumson. Dr. Strumson is a pediatric anesthesiologist. She's an assistant professor in, in anesthesia and pediatrics with George Washington University in Washington, D.C. in the United States. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks. How are you? Good, good. So we're going to talk today about anesthesia and breastfeeding. And first, I'm wondering if you could share with us the typical guidance that you give to a breastfeeding mom who's seeing you for a pre-op consultation regarding breastfeeding, surgery, and anesthesia. Sure. Um, I always have a, a lot of considerations and things I'm thinking about when I'm seeing a patient um, for the first time and trying to make a good plan for her anesthesia. Um, first and foremost, thing I'm always interested in is the type and length of surgery. Um, this will play a big role in the types of medications I use and what kind of recovery the, the mom will be looking, looking towards. Um, obviously, a big difference between things such as a colonoscopy um, versus a, a big craniotomy. Um, differences in things that we use would be types of medications and um, things we're looking at during the anesthesia would be potential for hemodynamic changes, fluid shifts, recovery, need for a lot of IV fluids or invasive monitoring and things like that. Obviously, I don't talk about all of that with the mom because it's, it's probably more than she needs to know, um, but I do have a, a sort of set of guidelines and things that I always recommend to moms um, who are facing surgery probably for the first time and who are wanting to preserve their breastfeeding relationship. Um, things I always recommend um, is try to schedule these cases as the first case of the day. In most, um, most hospitals, that means starting at 730. This is pretty much in order to try to minimize dehydration for mom. Um, our as ASA or the, um, the, uh, our, our anesthesia guidelines basically for, um, for fasting, uh, basically right now say that we have a two-hour window um, or up to about two hours prior to surgery, um, patients can have clear fluids. And this is presuming that mom or whatever patient doesn't have a history of reflux and is at least six weeks postpartum when we would also consider moms to be prone to having reflux. Most hospitals in practice, though, um, still adhere to a uh, nothing after midnight type of NPO guidelines um, prior to surgery. So uh, moms at my hospital, I would basically tell them that they are okay to drink up to about two hours prior to surgery. Now, if the if the surgery scheduled to start at 7.30 in the morning, that means at 5.30 a.m. would be the last time that they could have a sip of something. They're probably going to be sleeping at that point, so it's kind of a moot point. But for surgeries that are scheduled later in the day, certainly um, have mom come in a little bit early, place an IV, and give her IV fluids. She'll feel very, very thirsty if she's breastfeeding regardless, and I don't want her to get dehydrated. Um, but again, if at all possible, have these moms be our, our first case of the day to, to try to minimize dehydration. Um, the other one, one thing I, I like to tell moms is if they're able to plan for the surgery, i.e. it's not an emergency or a very urgent situation, um, I would have them start pumping a few times before the surgery. This is so that they're 
they um, will want to practice pumping to know what it is like in case they do need to pump afterwards. Um, and they, they don't know how they're going to feel afterwards, which is why I would recommend getting a feel for how a pump works prior to surgery. Um, they also don't know how long the procedure may last, um, and it's, it's pretty often that babies will need to be fed while mom is actually in the operating room. Um, so if mom is able to pump at least a few times ahead of time, um, she can have a little bit of breast milk available to give the baby while she's actually in the operating room. Um, and on that same note, I would often advise moms that they may want to practice giving the baby a bottle or having dad or someone else give the baby a bottle so it's not a big stressor at the time of surgery. If baby needs the feed by bottle, mom's in surgery, and dad or other caregiver is just having a hard time. Um, for, for pretty much whenever a case would be scheduled, whether it is able to be a, a 7.30 start time versus a, 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 a surgery later on in the day, I, I would have mom try to pump right before heading to the operating room. Um, if baby is with her at the hospital, she can nurse right before going to the operating room. And this can take a little bit of planning and tweaking because nobody in our pre-op area um, ever wants to delay a case starting. So um, if a surgery was aimed to be starting at 7.30, I would have mom try to nurse baby at 7.10 or 7 o'clock in the morning. If baby's not interested or not there with mom, have mom pump. That way she's starting out her, her operation with her breasts pretty empty. Um, the other um, guideline basically for prior to surgery along with getting a feel for pumping, um, being able to pump right before surgery would be also practice nursing um, in different positions depending on where the surgery is going to be. If the surgery is going to be on her belly, if she's having a um, maybe a laparoscopic cholecystectomy where she may have several little incision sites, she may want to practice lying down to nurse if that's not something she does already, or just practice having baby in different positions so that if they do need to adapt things afterwards, just because of soreness or a surgical site, um, they have more kind of tricks under their sleeve for, for getting mom and baby comfortable to nurse. Um, depending on the type of surgery that mom's having, um, I would have her strongly consider doing um, doing her, her procedure under regional anesthesia if that is all at all possible. Um, a lot of abdominal surgeries can be done under a spinal or epidural anesthesia or sometimes leg, if mom breaks her leg and needs her femur, not necessarily femur, but you know, your tibia fixed or needs some kind of orthopedic procedure done on her, her lower extremity, she can certainly have that done under general, um, uh, spinal anesthesia or epidural anesthesia. For upper limbs, she could have sort of a heavy sedation with a peripheral nerve block done. These kinds of things will minimize her, um, her anesthetic, baby's anesthetic, if they breastfeed right afterwards, um, and will also usually speed recovery. Um, a lot of patients are pretty nervous whether or not they're breastfeeding, but any patient um, about having surgery done without being completely, completely asleep with a general anesthetic. But I find that this is a very, very nice technique for minimizing exposure to medications. So again, if possible for the surgery, consider a regional technique for the anesthesia. Um, another thing I usually tell moms when they're, when they're facing, have, facing having surgery done is that they may not feel as well afterwards as they're anticipating. Um, a lot of moms anecdotally just feel pretty crummy as they're waking up. That's sort of due to um, the residual effects of the anesthesia, the pain medication, just pain itself. Nausea can be a pretty common um, side effect from anesthesia in the this healthy mom's age, in the, the sort of 20 to 50-year-old um, age range of which we will see moms who might be breastfeeding. So I would say probably up to 50 to 75% of moms may have some, some um, significant nausea afterwards. So I would prepare them for that, um, just that they may not feel like cuddling their baby and nursing right away. 
Um, and if that's if that is a possibility, which is definitely a possibility, I would have them have a pump available, um, whether they are able to bring one from home or speak to the hospital ahead of time about having one um, provided by the hospital for them to pump as soon as they feel up to it in recovery room. Because even if they don't feel up to nursing their baby, um, they definitely need to pump as they start to wake up to just to keep their supply going and not, not get engorged. Um, on that note, our PACU and recovery rooms in most hospitals may not allow babies to visit. And that's not because they are um, trying to um, create barriers or, or make this more difficult for moms, but in general, most recovery rooms um, try to limit visitors just because of potential for other patients um, that may have a rapid decompensation or, or some big issue. And, and this happens. PACUs can be somewhat um, kind of tenuous um, areas for patient recovery. And um, I know at my previous hospital, we usually limited most visitors in the recovery room to about five to 10 minutes. Um, and that was just basically for the safety of other patients and so that caregivers could get to the patients when they need to, to get there. Um, and w one last thing that I also tend to, to mention to moms is that um, while I've not seen uh, published case reports to this effect, I've heard anecdotally that a lot of moms um, experience a little bit of a supply drop after surgery. I'm not totally sure what the, um, what the etiology of this is, if it has to do with fluid shifts, um, sort of the stress to the body of the, the, the surgery, or, or what it is exactly, but anecdotally, it is something that I have heard of several times. And so I tell moms to expect that that may in fact, be an issue, and obviously, if it is, that they should just nurse as much um, as, as they possibly can or pump if they don't feel up to nursing afterwards. But it's something I like to prepare them for uh, just in case they're not expecting it. I wonder if that could be related to fluid shifts in situations where women have major abdominal surgeries where you get a lot of third spacing? It, it certainly could. Um, and I don't know um, when I've heard when I've heard moms mention this, I don't know um, and maybe I just haven't spoken to them in enough or in enough detail to find out if they are experiencing edema other, in other areas. But certainly after abdominal surgeries or anything with big fluid shifts or where we, where we replace a lot of fluids quickly, edema could certainly um, you know, be, be a barrier. My other, my other thought on that potentially is we sometimes need to give medications such as ephedrine, um, obviously very close to Sudafed, which mm -hmm. is sort of known as an inhibitor of um, of lactation. And I'm not exactly sure on the mechanism of action with that, um, but I will say that I use ephedrine quite frequently with adult patients to help support their blood pressure intra-op, especially if I'm trying to limit fluids or I know it's just going to be a temporary uh, need for blood pressure support. Oh, that's interesting. So, that would make sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is one of those things we have to use frequently and don't really give it a second thought. <laughs> at right. So. Right. So now I would like to talk about what happens when moms wake up. And is there a general rule of thumb regarding when mom is okay to nurse in terms of the medications that are in her milk? Um, sure. So generally speaking, um, a, a lot of people think and, and, sort, and sort of feel that moms are fine to nurse once they're awake and alert. And I would say that that is a pretty, um, pretty good generalization. The anesthetic gases that we use to actually keep moms asleep diffuse pretty quickly out of tissue. Um, and as that, that, the anesthesia gas that they are breathing in, as that is diffusing out of their tissue and being breathed off, they wake up. So by the time a mom is actually awake, they do not have any appreciable levels of, of, of our inhalational agents in their, their tissue stores. Um, I've looked at um, a couple of sources just to, to look and see what's been published on that, and I, I think there's at least one study um, showing that halothane, which is a gas that we don't use anymore in the United States, 
um, because of its hepatotoxic effect. Um, but that has been recovered like in minute, minute quantities in um, breast milk up to a week later. However, there's certainly almost no oral bioavailability from any of our anesthesia gases. So um, the inhalational agents are, are not going to cause cause any problem. Um, and once a mom is actually awake and alert, it's extremely unlikely that there's anything left in her breast milk that could cause a, a problem for a baby. Great. For younger in- but the one thing I will say, though, um, for younger infants, um, maybe babies that are under six to eight weeks, I would potentially be concerned about that because even if mom is awake and alert, some of the medications we get, such as pain medications, um, may be around in, in higher quantities in her breast milk in that kind of uh, very quick perioperative period just as she's waking up. For very young infants, for babies who are premature or have a history of prematurity, um, it may be a good idea to um, pump that first time that mom is feeling up to ex- either expressing or nursing and save the milk for later. Um, not necessarily feed it to that baby right away, but use it, mix it with other fresh milk later. Definitely does not need to be discarded, and in all likelihood it is probably fine to give to a baby. But just for very young or fragile infants, you may, uh, moms may do better to, to um, pump off one time after surgery and save that milk for later. Um, and then use whatever milk she has hopefully been able to store prior to surgery and use that to feed. So do you think that recommendation it mainly um, is for moms who have received pain medications or other IV medications around the time of waking up? Or you're talking about even moms who just have inhalation their uh, inhalation medications for anesthesia? So it's actually extremely, extremely rare for me to do an anesthetic and not give, a, uh, give someone a pain medication. Okay. Um, we, we do what we call kind of a balanced anesthesia. So um, everybody gets, or not everybody, but most patients will have an, an inhalational agent sort of be our, our base medication, um, which obviously diffuses out as a mom wakes up. Um, and then we supplement that with, um, with pain medications via the IV because the inhalational agents provide some degree of, of um, analgesia, um, but they don't basically blunt the sympathetic response that you would see to surgery. So we also attenuate sort of the tachycardia, hypertension, things that you may see if a patient who is just under an inhalational agent um, would respond to, to, a, to a surgical incision. They would, they would definitely look like, you know, they're, they're reacting to it with hypertension and tachycardia. So we give pain medications to mitigate that. Even though a patient's not awake and not feeling it, their spinal cord feels it. So we block uh-huh. it with, with pain meds. Oh, interesting. Um, what about yeah. what about antiemetics? Are those an issue as well? Like anything to be concerned about? Um, no, I, I would say our top one that we we use very very routinely is Zofran or um, or Ondansetron is its a generic name, and that should be fine. I, I give it to to babies if they're nauseated, but we don't. I mean, we don't tend to see nausea and vomiting in infants after surgery, but um, we routinely give that to moms, and that would be safe. The other medication we frequently use for um, for nausea would be decadron or dexamethasone, which is a potent steroid and actually seems to work well for nausea and vomiting. And again, I don't, I don't see any, um, any problem with giving that to a, to a breastfeeding mom. Great. So if a mom is meeting with an anesthesiologist and she's nursing and she wants to talk to the anesthesiologist about avoiding any medications uh, that, that, would in, that would affect breastfeeding in a negative way, are there things that this mom should say to the anesthesiologist, um, like any recommendations that are standard medications that should be avoided? Are there certain medications that you avoid in a breastfeeding mom? 
Sure. I mean, there's there's certain things we can do. I always say that anesthesia or practicing anesthesia is kind of like cooking. I try to come up with a, the perfect recipe for each patient, and there's a, a lot of different medications I can use and techniques and, and things I can do um, depending on the surgery and depending on the patient and, and sort of what my, my goal is. Um, if mom is otherwise completely healthy, she's having, um, let's say, a her tubes tied at like six to eight to ten weeks after her surgery or after her delivery, um, something like that, or say colonoscopy or something a very short um, surgery on a otherwise healthy mom, um, I would consider doing something called a TIVA, which is a total intravenous anesthetic. Um, and so instead of using a inhalational agent, such as these gases that we were talking about, we would just use pretty much propofol. Um, I would also use a narcotic. Um, and there's narcotics such as remifentanil, which is very, very, very quickly metabolized. Um, using propofol and remifentanil together as my my anesthetic um, for a patient means that they're going to wake up very quickly at the end. They're going to wake up very clear. Um, they won't have this sort of crummy hungover effect that I sometimes or frequently see um, with patients that have general anesthesia. So it's possible for us to kind of tweak our technique if we want a mom who is going to have a, a procedure that's not going to cause a lot of pain afterwards. Um, we can run an anesthetic that is brief. Um, that will make her wake up a little bit more quickly. And that's a consideration or something that I would, would certainly um, be a proponent of doing for a mom who's breastfeeding. Um, one medication that's often, I would say, demonized, and it's not really demonized, but um, thought to be a problem for breastfeeding moms who are having anesthesia um, is midazolam or Versed. And this is a medication we give almost, almost all the time to adults prior to surgery. Um, as sort of a relaxing medication. We tell them it's like we're giving them, you know, two shots of whiskey or something like that. Patients tell me <laughs> they feel a little bit drunk with it. It's kind of right. it's a very nice anxiolytic um, and, and an amnestic. So it's, it's got a lot of benefits for, for us to give that. Now, that is secreted in the breast milk at a, sort of a low level. Um, however, it does have a pretty high oral bioavailability. And, in fact, I give it to babies or babies and older kids all the time, um, basically, before, before I would anesthetize them. However, if a baby is at least, I would say, two to three months old or six or seven kilos, a single two-milligram dose that we give mom should be fine. But a baby who is small um, or young, I, I could certainly skip giving the mom midazolam just if I was concerned about baby getting it. And, and again, an anesthesiologist does not have to use midazolam. We just use it routinely. But for a small infant, it's not – or for a mom of a small infant, it's certainly not, not required, and that would be something I could easily skip. Great. That sounds like wonderful advice. So are there any pieces of advice or information that you'd like to share in addition to everything that we talked about? Um, you know, off the top of my head, I'm, I'm not totally sure. I just, I, I would say that I think part of the hesitation that a lot of anesthesiologists have with, um, with uh, not say allowing because they're not really in charge of, but, uh, you know, saying that, yeah, it's fine for mom to breastfeed just after anesthesia and surgery. Um, I think a lot of their the um, the caution with that is is at a couple of levels. We um, practice pretty defensively when we do anesthesia. We're always thinking of that one in a thousand, one in ten thousand kind of complication that can happen. And we do a lot of things, um, and the way we do things is to try to avoid those very very rare complications. So a lot of anesthesiologists might look at, well, why why would I say that it's fine for mom to breastfeed when she probably has small amounts of fentanyl, which is a, a narcotic, or morphine, or other medications floating around in her breast milk. This baby could, could drink this and you know, go into a respiratory arrest. Now, the, 
and I think that even though that's such a such a remote possibility, I think just the any possibility of that happening makes anesthesiologists um, get very very concerned and sort of say that mom shouldn't breastfeed, you know, for whatever prescribed amount of time, 24 hours. But it's all from this sort of cautionary um, perspective. We don't I don't believe we have any studies showing that. Um, that routinely requiring moms to pump and discard their milk for any length of time is, is beneficial. But again, it's just this sort of we practice pretty defensively as a as a group, and I think they're just they don't want anything bad to happen to kids. If a, if a baby were to, God forbid, have some kind of respiratory um, issue after breastfeeding after a mom has had anesthesia, that's something we would see right away. If a mom were told she needed to give this baby formula because she had to pump and just throw away her milk for 24 hours and the baby developed issues related to that later on in life, we're never going to see that and we don't know about it. And in our minds, not, not necessarily mine, but in a lot of anesthesiologists' minds, that's a, a much better risk to take from their perspective, even though it, it doesn't necessarily make sense. Um, the other issue is that we look at each of these medications that we routinely give to, to a mom and in almost all of them, I would have no hesitation um, telling a mom that she can breastfeed afterwards. I think it's when we look at how many we give in total. It's, it's quite polypharmacy that we're doing. Um, and it's that, oh, a little bit of fentanyl plus a little bit of midazolam plus a little bit of propofol leftover plus whatever else may be in there um, just sort of makes, makes people a little bit cautious. Um, however, I, I think we need to work hard um, to try to preserve mom's breastfeeding relationship. This is going to be very, very stressful for mom no matter what is happening in terms of her surgery and her anesthesia. Um, and I think we just need to be very, very supportive of, of her wishes and what she wants to do and provide her with good information um, about what is safe. And for the most part, almost almost all anesthetics that I would give for routinely for, for a mom of breastfeeding age would be safe for mom to breastfeed afterwards. Excellent. That sounds like great advice. I really appreciate the time that you took with me. And um, I will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. If you have any interest in the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine or any questions or comments about this podcast, please email us at abm at b as in boy, f as in frank, med.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a few weeks.